Hello, and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Thursday, February 23rd. And I am your reader, Peter Welch. And this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. All right, let's take a look at the front page here today. Legalized marijuana proposal unveiled. Democrats introduce bill for recreational use. In Des Moines, marijuana would be legal for recreational use. Previous convictions for nonviolent possession charges would be removed from an individual's criminal record, and the state's medical cannabis program would be expanded under legislation introduced Tuesday by the Democratic state lawmakers. The proposal is not likely to become state law anytime soon, since Republican state lawmaker and leadership and Governor Kim Reynolds have the past uh, opposed any efforts to legalize marijuana in the state of Iowa. Nationally, 21 states have legalized recreational marijuana, including Iowa neighbors, Missouri and Illinois. Minnesota state lawmakers are considering legislation to legalize marijuana there as well. It is time, said Iowa Republican Jennifer uh, Confers, a Windsor Heights resident and leader of the minority party House Democrats. Confers to argue that the legalizing of marijuana would keep sales tax revenue in Iowa uh, instead of sending it to other states. And it would preserve state resources that currently go toward enforcing marijuana laws and it would increase the quality of life for Iowans with chronic illnesses. She also noted that legal recreational marijuana use is popular with a majority of Iowa voters. 54% of Iowans said that they support legalizing recreational pot in 2021 in Des Moines Register and Mediacom Iowa poll. It's across party lines. It's across the place where you live in the state, rural, urban, suburban. And it's time to do this, Confer said. House Democrats' proposal would ta- tax marijuana sales at 10% revenue and would be split three ways. 35% to fund scholarships for Iowa college students, 32.5% to mental health services and substance abuse programs, and 32.5% to local law enforcement agencies. Imagine what Imagine that kind of revenue to Iowa schools and mental health services and local public safety, said Iowa uh, Republican Lindsey James. Excuse me, I should say a representative, Lindsey James, a Democrat, excuse me, of Dubuque, who introduced the proposal along with Confirst, the state agency that currently regulates alcohol laws, sales in Iowa under Democrats' proposal. The proposal also would allow Iowans convicted of misdemeanor marijuana possession without any convictions for violent crimes to request the courts to remove the possession conviction from their records. All right, let's see what else we have here. Well, of course, you're very well aware of what an amazing, massive storm uh, the country had um, for the last two days. Here's an article about that. Massive storm spreads snow, winds, and frigid cold. Brutal winter weather left Cedar Valley coated with ice on Wednesday. In Pierre, South Dakota, brutal winter weather 
hammered the northern U.S. Wednesday with whiteout snow, dangerous wind gusts, and bitter cold, shutting down roadways and closing schools and businesses and prompting dire warnings for people to stay home. The massive storm with blizzard-like conditions to the north was a part of a wild weather day across the U.S., Strong winds knocked out power for tens of thousands in California. Wind gusts combined with snow and rain forced closure of a long stretch of interstate highways in the southwest. And meanwhile, the mid-Atlantic down to Florida will see record high temperatures, in some cases up to 40 degrees above normal. In Black Hawk County, KWWL meteorologist Brandon Libby said that most of the storm should be done early Thursday morning. However, the winds will be strong and temperatures will stay down, causing ice to remain on the roadways. As of Wednesday afternoon, there was about 0.12 inches of ice, which could increase up to 0.2 inches. Libby said that it could be 0.3 inches at the most extreme point. If people have to travel... It'd be best to wait until the later morning or afternoon, he says. Those traveling should keep an emergency kit in their car just in case they become stranded. This includes things like water, food, and a blanket. He also said that keeping cat litter, sand, or salt in the car is helpful if it gets stuck on ice. Other driving tips include avoiding cruise control, keeping plenty of distance between cars, and not braking or accelerating hard. As of Wednesday afternoon, all rural roads in Black Hawk County were considered completely covered, and the main roads were partially covered. Schools such as the Cedar Falls Community School District, all the way north to Nash to Nashua Plainfield, were closed on Wednesday. Schools throughout the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Wisconsin were called off Wednesday as well. Offices closed, and so did the Minnesota legislature. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem shut down state executive branch offices in several parts of the state, and employees worked remotely. In Wyoming, virtually every road was impacted. A major winter storm and multi-day closures are likely on interstate and secondary, secondary roads throughout Wyoming, the state transportation department said on Facebook. It wasn't much better in neighboring states either. Sometimes it's physically impossible to keep up with Mother Nature, said North Dakota Highway Patrol Sergeant Wade Cadmus. Okay, here's another article here on the front page. Adoption brings sanctions for nurse. Baby's mother patient of Waverly woman, so state alleges violation. An Iowa nurse who adopted the baby of a former patient has been sanctioned for her actions by state legislatures and regulators. The Iowa Board of Nursing alleges that that Miriam Simon of Waverly violated state regulations that prohibit nurses from attempting to initiate an emotional, social, or business relationship with a patient for personal gain, regardless of the patient's consent. In addition, the board has charged Simon with violating patient confidentiality regulations. The board alleges that Simon, while working in the obstetrics unit at Decorah's Windsheik Medical Center 
in September of 2021, cared for a woman and her newborn son. While providing that care, Simon allegedly engaged in conversations with the woman as to whether she wished to keep the baby or place him for adoption, according to the board. The baby, named Ezra, was eventually adopted by Simon and her husband, Travis. Ezra is now 17 months old and in good health. According to the board, it was the 43-year-old Simon who initiated efforts to adopt the child. But Simon said in an interview that's not accurate. She said after raising seven children of her own, she had no interest at all in adopting a child until the birth mother, birth mother contacted her through Facebook and raised the issue. The mother was reached out to me after he was born, Simon said. This hospital, for some reason, had both my first and last name on my name badge, and she later told me that's how she was able to get in touch with me. She said, I wrote down your first and last name because we had a really good connection, and I just really liked you. Simon said that the mother was in the, in the U.S. on a visa and attending school. The woman risked deportation if she dropped out, Simon said, but was also having a difficult time caring, also having a difficult time caring for the child while attending school and living in a dormitory. So she asked me, would you consider adopting, Simon said. And I was like, well, no, no, no. I, I have seven children, and my seventh is eight years old, and we are done. After Simon's husband expressed interest in the birth mother proposal, Simon reconsidered and eventually told the woman she and her husband wanted to adopt the boy. The adoption process was expensive, Simon says, but proceeded quickly. Soon Ezra was part of her family. There weren't any issues, she said, until she was at work one day and mentioned to a colleague that she was tired and had forgotten that it was like, like to have a newborn child at home. She explained to her co-worker that she had adopted a former patient's infant. And the former patient's, uh, and, excuse me, and the co-worker, I should say, flipped, Simon said, telling her that she had crossed patient caregiver boundaries and had violated federal patient privacy laws. Soon after, the Decor Hospital terminated its contract with her, Simon said. And seven months later, she was called by an investigator from the Iowa Board of Nursing. According to Simon, she tried to explain to the board that she adopted the child out of a desire to help both the patient and the child. They were just like, well, you can't do that, Simon said at the board made it seem as if she had taken advantage of her child's birth mother. She's Hispanic, and she's here on an international visa. And so the Board of Nursing used that, like saying that she was an illegal immigrant, and I took advantage of her. And I was like, she has her master's. This woman is highly educated. She's more educated than I am. Simon and the board eventually agreed to settle the charges with an agreement that stipulates she must complete 30 hours of training on patient privacy and take a three-day course in professional boundaries and ethics. Simon said that the decision to adopt, adopt rather, excuse me, wasn't made lightly and cost $25,000. She said that every night while she rocks Ezra, the child's birth mother sings him songs in Spanish 
while the three are connected via FaceTime. And never did I stop to think that, that like, I was doing something wrong, she said. That uh, the hurt lies in that the that made me feel like a predator. What was meant to be beautiful turned quickly into stress and anxiety. Okay, let's now go to the Cedar Valley section of the paper. Chemical burns lead to arrest of mother. Son, one, injured by drain, cleaner, meth exposure. A Waterloo woman has been ar arrested after her one-year-old son was injured with drain cleaner. The child also tested positive for methamphetamine and THC, according to court records. Police arrested Kayla Lynn Tefell, age 23, on Friday on charges of child endangerment by meth exposure and neglect of a dependent person, and bond was set at $20,000. The judge has issued a restraining order in the case. Paramedics were called to her home at 1222 Lincoln Street on the 5th of January for a report of a child with chemical burns. Tefell told investigators that she had just stepped out of the shower when she noticed the child had drain cleaner down the front of, of, of his onesie records state. Officers found an open bottle of Drano near where the son and another child had been. They determined that the cleaner had been kept in an unlocked cabinet under the sink and didn't have a child safety cap. The child suffered burns to the chest and esophagus and was transferred to the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics in Iowa City in an operation to remove and repair damaged tissue. Reports state he was placed in a medically induced coma. Records also go on to say... While in the hospital, doctors tested a hair sample from the child and found traces of meth and THC records state. Police also found meth on top of a small refrigerator in Tefell's bedroom that would have been accessible to the child. Tefell's also uh, awaiting uh, sentencing in connection with the December 2021 home robbery on South Street. One arrested in downtown gun battle in November. In Waterloo, police arrested a man and seized three guns following a brief foot chase Tuesday afternoon for his part in a November downtown gun battle. Officers arrested Landrell Mikewell Cooper, age 20, on a warrant for felon in possession of a firearm. Bond was set at $5,000. According to police officers with the violent crime apprehension team, were in the 1000 block of Logan Avenue around 4 p.m. Tuesday when they spotted Cooper walking into a home. Officers began to approach the house and Cooper ran out and was captured a short time later. Authorities searched the home and found a firearm. They also found two additional firearms at a nearby address. Cooper is currently on probation for an April 2019 incident where police found him with a loaded 9mm Ruger pistol and bags of marijuana during a traffic stop. Cooper was wanted in connection with the November 18 shootout and the 600 block of Sycamore Street. No injuries were reported, but bullets damaged a vehicle and a barbershop window. Witnesses told police that Cooper was shooting at them, and they returned fire. Cooper is prohibited from handling firearms because of a priority felon, felony conviction, according to court records. 
UNI picks home for a BSN program. Regents approve plans for $5 million project. In Cedar Falls, the University of Northern Iowa has selected the Innovative Teaching and Technology Center as the future home of its new Bachelor of Science in Nursing program. The Board of Regents approved the university's plan for renovations Wednesday after Michael Hager, senior VP for the Finance and Operations, told that the Property and Facilities Committee that the institution has budgeted $4.95 million for the work predominantly focused on the third floor, but also the first and ground floor. The renovations will be completed on 12,800 square feet of the space, creating an, an experimental learning space for students. The program is expecting to initiate cohort of 24 students to begin next fall semester, with Nancy Kurtz at the helm as the university's executive director of nursing and chief academic nurse administrator. The third floor is currently empty as we're currently finishing up a roofing project that started last summer and will be completed this coming summer, said Hager. Then we'll move straight into renovating that third floor for the nursing program. The largest chunk of the cost will be for furniture and equipment, Hager says. Most of the work will be done on student experience as the space will not accommodate traditional classrooms, rather stipulation labs for learning and training. No programs are expected to be re relocated as a result of the renovations. Veteran announces run for CF Council, Cedar Falls. Glenn Keith plans to run for a, a, a large seat in the fall. A 25-year military veteran is planning to add his name to the November 7th ballot for those seeking to be the next council member at large. Glenn Keith, age 48, still has a drive to serve his community as an elected official after having run an unsuccessful campaign for Blackhawk County Supervisor in 2022. Council member Dave Cyrus' term on the city council ends on the 31st of December. He said he does not plan to run for re-election, although it's not been made official. I've had a desire to get into local government service after being in the military and working with the federal government and a lot of diff different government agencies, Keith said. It really, opened, really, it really opened my eyes while knocking on 2,000 doors during my campaign and learning how we agree on a lot of things when it comes to our local government. And this would be a great way for me to give back to our great community. The retired Army Lieutenant Colonel has never held an elected office, but served for three years on the Blackhawk County Veterans Affairs Commission, including almost two years as the chair. He's been a legal assistant and office manager at a law firm, and has led the University of Northern Iowa's Army ROTC program, as well as the junior ROTC program at Waterloo East High School, after having moved to Cedar Falls in 2013. While not heavily engaged in city government beyond occupational conversations with officials and keeping up with what's in the news, his engagement with the community has mostly come through volunteering with his church, veteran groups, and non Profits. CFNEIA selects board officers and new members. In Cedar Falls, 
The Community Foundation of Northeast Iowa has elected officers and new members to its board of directors for 2023. Todd Henningsen, Senior Wealth Advisor at Bergen KDV of Cedar Falls, has been elected to serve as board chairperson for 2023. He will replace Jeff Siemens, who will serve as past chair. Rashonda Young, the co-founder of Bank of Jabez, was named vice chair. Michelle Jungers, an attorney and owner of Jungers Law, PLLC, will serve as a secretary. And Susan Sims, a community volunteer, will serve as treasurer. CFNEIA president and CEO K. England is also an elected officer of the board of directors. Newly board directors are are Chowan Page, a curator for the Waterloo Center for the Arts, Kaola Roby, the diversity and inclusion officer for Lincoln Savings Bank, and Mike Hume, an investment advisor representative and managing partner of Financial Resources Advisors. Members are elected to three-year terms. Okay, what else is going on in Waterloo? Man sentenced for sexual abuse. A man who allegedly had sex with a teenager inside an abandoned school in 2018 has been sentenced to a halfway house and probation. Thoron J. Fuller, age 26, was sentenced to 10 years in prison, suspended to two to five years of probation on a charge of third-degree sexual abuse during a Friday hearing in Blackhawk County District Court. The sentence includes a year in the Waterloo Residential Facility, a lifetime parole, and registration as a sex offender. He will remain in jail until there is space available at the Residential Facility Court Records State. The judge also extended a restraining order in the case for five years. In March 2018, police spotted Fuller, who was 21, and the then 14-year-old girl, leaving the vacant Longfellow Elementary School on Edward Street around 4 a.m. Police obtained DNA evidence in the investigation, and Fuller was charged in January of 2021. Hawkeye man faces sexual abuse charge. A Hawkeye man has been arrested for allegedly sexually abusing a teenager. Fayette County Sheriff's deputies arrested 24-year-old Gustavo Macisas Torres on a warrant for third-degree sexual assault and dissemination of obscene materials to a minor. Bond was set at $12,000 uh, to cash only. The arrest is a result of a month-long investigation, according to the sheriff's office. Authorities allege he forced a teen girl to have sex and showed her pictures of naked women on his cell phone. Sheriff's deputies were notified of the allegation in January of 2023, and the teen was interviewed at the Child Protection Center in Waterloo, according to court records. In Marion, Haley urges GOP to move forward. Newly announced Republican presidential candidate and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley said that the party has got to move forward from former President Donald Trump, who's being investigated over his efforts to overturn his loss in the 2020 election 
and the events leading to the deadly January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol. The response came after Haley opened a town hall event on Tuesday night in Marion to audience questions. She was asked whether she would consider Trump as her running mate. Think about that for a second, Haley said to laughs. How well do you think it would go over if I called President Trump and said, do you want to be my VP? Haley called Trump a friend and said that the two had good conversation ahead of her announcing her competing bid for the White House. He was right president at the right time, Haley said, to a crowd of more than 200 at her stop at Legacy Manufacturing Company. He broke the things that needed to be broken, and he worked to fix them. The reason I'm running is we've got to move forward. Haley, a former governor of South Carolina, both sought to capitalize on her time in Trump's administration as his ambassador to the U.N., as well distance herself with her former boss and now chief competitor. We can't keep dealing with these issues in the past, she said of Trump. Haley, age 51, is the first major Republican candidate to challenge the former president for the 2024 GOP nomination. She said that Washington needs a younger generation of leaders and called for congressional term limits and a mandatory mental uh, competency test for politicians older than 75, an implied dig at President Joe Biden, who's 80, and is the oldest U.S. president in history, and slight of Trump, who's age 76. She said one critic of, of the proposal, uh, U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders, um, said that Vermont was exactly the reason why we need it. Haley also mentioned two veteran Democratic lawmakers, Senator Dianne Feinstein and Rep- Representative Maxine Waters, both of California. Feinstein, who's 89, the same age as recently re-elected longtime Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, and whose cognitive capacities have widely questioned, recently announced that she would retire at the end of her current term. It's about accountability, Haley said. Haley criticized Biden over foreign policy and border security, calling the recent Chinese spy balloon episode a national embarrassment. The withdrawal from Afghanistan, a debacle, and every state, a border state due to the flow of illegal drugs across the southern border, she said is contributing to an unrelenting U.S. overdose crisis linked to the potent synthetic opioid fentanyl. Haley also decried critical race theory and the teaching of gender identity in schools and said we need to have school choice across this country. She said foreign aid should go only to the U.S. allies and call for an end to congressional earmarks to rein in spending and help curb inflation. Haley talked about growing up in Bamberg, South Carolina, as the only Indian family in small rural town. We weren't, white, we, we weren't white enough to be white. We weren't black enough to be black, she said. My mom would say your job is not to show them how you're different. Your job is to show them how you're similar. And that town came to accept us. Okay, time to go to Des Moines here. Scott speaking in Iowa, Moles White House bid. In Des Moines, Senator Tim Scott weighs mounting a 2024 presidential candidacy 
The Republican was in Iowa on Wednesday delivering a message of a new American sunrise, articulating a positive vision that sets him apart from some possible rivals who have focused more on railing against cultural divides. I see 330 Americans getting back to celebrating our shared blessings again, tolerating our differences again, and having each other's backs again, Scott plans to say. Uh, plans to say at Drake University in Des Moines. We need new leaders who will lift us up and not tear us down. If he follows through with a campaign, the South Carolinian's upbeat matter could distinguish him during a GOP primary. Many of Scott's fellow Republicans who have courted Iowa's influential evangelical conservatives in recent weeks have focused on themes such as denying systematic racism in the U.S. or curbing transgender rights. Scott, the senator's sole black Republican, doesn't shy away from such terrain. He has spoken of woke superiority. But in the speech, he describes a new American sunrise, even brighter than before. That nod towards an inclusion has generally been absent from the Republicans who have recently swung through Iowa, which is poised to hold the first contest in next year's push for the GOP presidential nomination. Shortly after launching her presidential campaign last week, Nikki Haley was in suburban Des Moines stoking contempt for woke ideology and arguing a national self-loathing that has taken over our country. Likewise, former VP Mike Pence, who was weighing a presidential candidacy in Cedar Rapids last week, headlined a rally to oppose an eastern Iowa school district's policy towards transgender students to request a gender-affirming plan without their parents' knowledge. Across the country, parents' rights are being trampled by a politically correct nanny state that's ruining our schools and telling parents they have no role in their child's education, he said. And at this point in time, I'd like to remind you that you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services uh, Network for the Blind and the Disabled. This is Peter Welch speaking, and we are reading here today the uh, Courier for Thursday. February 23rd. Yes, there are uh, two obituary news items uh, today. The first one is Deanna Holst. Deanna passed at the age of 59, uh, and she's from Box Elder, South Dakota, and she died on the 13th of February at Monument Health Rapid City Hospital in Rapid City, South Dakota, after a brief battle with cancer. A um, funeral service will be held at 4 p.m. on Saturday, February 18th, um, at the Motley Free Methodist Church in Motley Green, um, excuse me, I should say in Motley, Minnesota, with Reverend Jim Johnson officiating. And then burials will be in Evergreen Hill Cemetery in Staples, Minnesota. The visitation will be held from 5 to 8 p.m. on Friday at the Taylor Funeral Home in Staples, Minnesota from 3 to 4 p.m. on Saturday. And the other uh, obituary piece of news that we've got here is William Efert. William Efert has passed at the age of 78 of Cedar Falls at uh, Unity Point Health Hospital in Waterloo. 
Um, visitation will be at 5 to 7 p.m. on Friday, the 24th of February, at Locke on 4th and 1519 West 4th Street in Waterloo. For more information, you can call 319-233-6138. And he is to be cremated and burial will be later date in Garden of Memories uh, uh, Cemetery in Waterloo. Okay, now it's time to uh, turn to the nation and the world section of the Courier. Let's start with the Digest News section first. High Court seems to favor tech giants. In Washington, the Supreme Court seemed skeptical Wednesday of a, loss, of a lawsuit trying to hold social media companies responsible for a terrorist attack at a Turkish nightclub that killed 39 people. During arguments at the High Court, several justices underscored that there was no evidence linking Twitter or Facebook or Google directly to the 2017 attack on the Rena nightclub in Istanbul. The family of a man killed in the attack says that the companies aided and abetted the attack because they assisted in the growth of the Islamic State group, which claimed responsibility for the attack. If the court bars the lawsuit from going forward, it could avoid a major ruling of the company's legal immunity. And that would leave open the possibility that justices could take up the issue again in a later case. Amazon closes a $3.9 billion buyout. In New York, Amazon said Wednesday, it closed its $3.9 billion acquisition of the primary care organization, One Medical. The e-commerce giant said that the buyout announced in July is a key component of its growing healthcare business, which includes its online drugstore, Amazon Pharmacy, and a patient-to-doctor messaging service called Amazon Clinic. Anti-monopoly groups called on the Federal Trade Commission to block the purchase. One Medical, which was owned by San Francisco-based uh, Life Healthcare Incorporated, has about 815,000 members and 214 medical offices in more than 20 markets. Its membership-based service offers virtual care as well as in-person visits. The two companies said Wednesday that for the first year, membership will be available to new U.S. customers for $144 which is a 28% discount. And then briefly, Peace Prize. The Norwegian Nobel Committee said on Wednesday that 305 candidates were nominated for the 2023 Nobel Peace Prize by the February 1st deadline, the lowest number in four years. The names of the 212 individuals and 93 organizations were not released in accordance with committee practice. Drug sanctions. The U.S. Treasury Department announced on, uh, on Wednesday against six members of a Mexican ring accused of supplying massive amounts of a chemical used to make deadly fentanyl and methamphetamines. Not milk, soy, oat, almond, and other drinks that bill themselves as milk can keep using the name according to draft federal rules that were released on Wednesday. Food and Drug Administration officials said that plant-based beverages don't pretend to be from uh, dairy animals, 
the U.S. consumers aren't confused by the difference. Korean tensions. North Korea on Wednesday accused U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres of an extremely unfair and imbalanced attitude as it lambasted him for condemning its recent missile test but ignoring alleged U.S. hostility against the, the North. U.S., South Korean, and Japanese destroyers are training near Korean pe Peninsula, which the North could regard as a provocation. EU uh, migrants, nearly one million people, applied for international protection in the European Union in 2022, according to data published on Wednesday, bringing the numbers of asylum requests to a level not seen since the 2015-2016 refugee crisis. That doesn't include over 4 million Ukrainian refugees granted temporary protection in the EU. And finally, mine collapse. An open pit mine collapsed on Wednesday in Alexa League in China's northern inner Mongolian region, killing at least two people. State media reported the official news agency uh, of China said that the uh, people were buried under debris. Six were rescued with injuries and 53 were still listed as missing. All right, let's, uh, let's take a look at the, uh, the Mideast. Jerusalem this time, Israeli forces kill 10 Palestinians. Video appears to show unarmed men gunned down while fleeing. Israeli forces on Wednesday stormed into a major Palestinian city in the occupied West Bank for a rare daylight raid, triggering a fierce gun battle that killed at least 10 Palestinians and wounded scores of others. It was one of the bloodiest battles in nearly a year of fighting in the West Bank and East Jerusalem and raised the likelihood of further bloodshed. Israeli police said that they were on a heightened alert while the Hamas militant group in Gaza said its patience was running out. Islamic Jihad, another militant group, vowed to retaliate. The four-hour operations left a broad swath of damage in a centuries-old marketplace in Nablus. Israel has been carrying out stepped-up raids in the West Bank since a series of deadly Palestinian attacks in Israel last, uh, last spring. Israeli officials like liken these operations to mowing the lawn, saying they are necessary to prevent a difficult situation from turning worse. But the raids have shown few signs of slowing the violence, and in cases like Wednesday's operation, they raise the likelihood of reprisals. The Israeli military said that it entered Nablus, the West Bank's commercial center, to arrest three militants suspected in previous shooting attacks. The military usually conducts raids at night and what it says is a tactic meant to reduce the risk of civilian casualties. But military spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hetched said that forces moved quickly after intelligence services tracked down the men in a hideout. Hetched claimed that Israeli forces surrounded the building, asked the men to surrender, but instead they opened fire. The influx of wounded overwhelmed the city's Naja Hospital and Ahmad Aswad, the head nurse of the cardiology department, saying the 36-year-old medic said that he saw many patients shot in the chest, head, and thighs. 
They shot to kill, he said. And the moment, he said, will uh, haunt him. He and a colleague carefully extracted a bullet from a 16-year-old man's heart. After the chaos subsided and they pronounced their patient dead, they calmed down enough to look at the man's face. It was his colleague's father. His colleague, Elias Asquar, was overcome and went silent. It didn't feel like we were in reality, Aswat said. Time-stamped security footage shared online appeared to show two unarmed young men running down the street. Gunshots are heard and both failed, excuse me, and both fall to the ground with one's hat flying off his head. Hetched called the video problematic and said that the military was looking into it. McCarthy gives one-sixth footage to Carlson. Democrats criticize giving exclusive access to right-wing pundit. In Washington, thousands of hours of surveillance footage from the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol are being made available to Fox News Channel Tucker, Tucker Carlson. A stunning level of excess granted by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy that Democrats swiftly condemned as a grave breach of security with potentially far-reaching consequences. The hard-right political commentator said that his team is spending the week at the Capitol pouring through the video and preparing to reveal their findings to his viewers, but granting exclusive access to sensitive January 6th security footage to such a deeply partisan figure is a highly unusual move seen by some critics as essentially outsourcing House oversight to a TV personality who has promoted conspiracy theories about the attack. It's a shocking development that brings in both political concerns, but even more importantly, security concerns, said Representative Dan Goldman, Democrat of New York, who was a chief counsel during President Donald Trump's first impeachment trial. Kevin McCarthy has turned over the security of the Capitol to Tucker Carlson. And that's a scary thought, he added. House Democrats plan to convene on Wednesday for a private caucus call to hear from Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, who served as the chair, chairman of the January 6th committee and others. U.S. could default on debt by early June. Report the government won't be able to meet obligations very soon. In Washington, the U.S. could face an unprecedented default on its obligations as soon as early June. If Congress does not act to lift the debt limit, a Washington think tank said on Wednesday, the Bipartisan Policy Center, which forecasts the approximate X date when the government will no longer be able to meet its financial obligations on time, said the U.S. will reach its uh, statutory debt limit as soon as the summer or early fall of 2023. That inches up from the center's previous prediction in June of 2022 that the extraordinary measures that U.S. Treasury uses to pay the government's bills would not be exhausted before the third quarter of 2023. Previewing the data for reporters on a morning call, Shay Akabas, the center's director of economic policy, said that the new projections reflect considerable uncertainty in our nation's current 
economic outlook. Policymakers have an opportunity now to inject certainty into the U.S. and global economy by beginning in earnest bipartisan negotiations around our nation's physical health and taking action to uphold the full faith and credit of the United States well before the X date, he said. President Joe Biden and new Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met once this month to talk about the debt limit, but expectations are low for quick progress as GOP lawmakers push for steep spending cuts in exchange for a debt ceiling deal. All right, let's uh, go now to a section um, of of our uh, newspaper reading here today of the Courier. This is still the national news. This is a science section of the uh, paper, and it's called Interstellar Flyby. An asteroid will just miss us in 2029. Scientists are making the most of a rare opportunity. To be clear here, the astronaut is not going to hit us. There was a while there when it seemed like it could. But as of March 2021, NASA has confirmed that there is absolutely zero chance that the space rock known as 99942 um, Apophis will strike this planet, at least not for another 100 years. What remains true, however, is that on Friday, April 13th, 2029, an asteroid wider than three football fields will pass closer to Earth than anything its size has come in recorded history. An asteroid strike is a disaster. An asteroid flyby is an opportunity. And an Apophis offers one of the best chances science has ever had to learn how Earth came to be and how we might one day prevent its destruction. In the movies, incoming asteroids appear without warning from the depths of space and speed directly toward us until missiles or Bruce Willis heroically destroy them. In real life, asteroids orbit the sun on elliptical paths. They're often spotted years, if not decades, before a potential collision. Apophis was discovered in 2004, After calculating its potential orbits, astronomers were startled to realize it had a 3% chance of hitting Earth in 2029. And a nod to horrifying potential, they named it Apophis as an Egyptian god of chaos. We were shocked, said Paul Kodis, who manages NASA's Near-Earth Object Program Office at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in La Canada, Flintridge, California. This is very serious and actually a very unexpected and rare event. Astronomers use color-coded warning system called the, uh, called the Torino scale to gauge the uh, degree of danger an asteroid or a comet presents to Earth in the next 100 years. Since the scale's creation in 1995, none of the, of the roughly 30,000 30, near-Earth objects known to exist in the solar system had ranked higher than one on the zero to 10 scale. Apophis was a four. The longer astronomers track an asteroid, the more clearly it defines its orbit becomes. Within a few months, scientists were able to rule out the possibility of a 2029 strike. 
Within a few years, they were able to dismiss the even similar chance of a hit in 30, excuse me, in 2036. And in 2021, radar observations confirmed that Apophis will not strike when it passes us in 2068, leaving Earth in the clear for at least another century. We've never seen anything that large get that close, said Lance Benner, a principal scientist at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Close in the space world is a relative term. At its nearest, Apophis will pass roughly 19,000 miles above Earth's surface. It's about one-tenth the distance to the moon. On April 13th, Apophis will be visible with the naked eye from parts of Europe and Africa. In the southern U.S., experienced stargazers might be able to spot it with binoculars around 3.30 a.m. The asteroid close encounter presents an unprecedented opportunity to study its physical properties and to help us learn things that we've never been able to learn before, Benner says. An approach this close from an asteroid this big occurs at most every thousand, few, few thousand years, said David Farnochia, a navigation engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. From the ground, Apophis will resemble a star traversing the night sky, as bright as the constellation Cassiopeia and slower than a satellite. Though it may appear far away for those of us down here, it will in fact be near enough to NASA to reach out and touch it. Apophis is as long as the Eiffel Tower. A collision would be less catastrophic, but could still cause serious damage. NASA's working on a plan to deal with that. Last year, its Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, spacecraft deliberately crashed into a rock seven million times a million miles away, I should say seven million miles away, to see whether humans could change the trajectory of a celestial object. The good news, we can. If we ever did have to deflect an incoming asteroid, that's how we'll do it with a speedy projectile, strong enough to knock it ever so slightly off course. That mission was spectacularly successful and showed that the technique works, Benner concluded. Okay, now let's go to Rome. Pope Francis on Lent, end dictatorship of the superficial. Pope Francis ushered in the annual Christian Lenten period of sacrifice and reflection by encouraging people on Ash Wednesday to cast off what he called the dictatorship of heavy agendas and superficial needs. Due to a knee problem, Francis didn't join in the traditional Ash Wednesday procession between two churches on Rome's Aventine Hill. Instead, he presided over an early evening mass after the procession in Hilltop St. Sabina Basilica where faithful gathered for the Catholic Church's ritual distribution of ashes that are meant as reminders of people's mortality. Lent marks a period that can include fasting and prayer and works of charity in preparation for Easter, which this year is on the 9th of April. During the services, ashes were sprinkled on Francis' bowed head while a choir sang hymns. Lent is the time to drop the pretense of being self-sufficient and the need to put ourselves at the center of things, to be the top of the class, to think that 
by our own abilities, we can succeed in life and transform the, transform the world around us, the Pope said in his homily. The ashes we receive this evening tell us that every presumption of self-sufficiency is false and that self-idolatry is destructive, imprisoning us in isolation and loneliness, he said. Instead, Lent serves to remind ourselves that the world is bigger than our narrow personal needs and to rediscover the joy, not of accumulating material goods, but of caring for those who are poor and afflicted, Francis said. Let us take stock of ourselves to free ourselves from the dictatorship of heavy schedules, crowded agendas, and superficial needs, and choose the things that truly matter, the pontiff said. In his homily, Francis circled back to an overarching theme of his nearly 10-year papacy, attention to the individuality of those in need, particularly the poor. Almsgiving is not a hasty gesture performed to ease our conscience, the Pope said. Rather, it's a way of touching the sufferings of the poor with our own hands and heart. Holy Week services starting on the 2nd of April with Palm Sunday and including the traditional way of the cross procession of the Colosseum draw large crowds of pilgrims and tourists to Rome and the Vatican. In the time remaining, let's take a quick look at what to watch on television for this Thursday. Um, let's take a look here. First, we've got uh, Liaison a, a, uh, on Apple, this new six-episode ep, uh, six thriller, uh, and is a high-stakes contemporary drama exploring how the mistakes of the past can destroy the future. It's the first French and English language Apple TV original. And episodes will drop on Fridays beginning today. All right. What else is going on? The Outer Banks on Netflix. This is the season premiere. In season three of the teen action mystery of drama, after losing the gold and fleeing the Outer Banks, the Pogues have washed ashore on a desert island that, for a brief moment, seemed like an idyllic home. But things quickly go south. And that will be interesting to watch. And then uh, Next Level Chef on Fox at 7 p.m. In the new episode, No Pain, No Gain, the chefs must elevate a sandwich into an upscaling dining experience. Law & Order, NBC, 7 p.m. In Fear and Loathing, Cosgrove Jeffrey Donovan and Shaw Menachad Brooks must unravel a string of false crimes reports to get to the truth surrounding a respected doctor's murder. Shaw becomes the target of retaliation when he files a complaint against two patrol officers. And that does it here for the reading of the Courier for Thursday, the 23rd of February. And I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you have been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network network for the reading and for I should say for the blind and the disabled. And thank you so much for listening. Stay warm out there. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye now.